In 1972, the English pastor and theologian John Stott, he was scheduled to give the presidential address at the annual InterVarsity Fellowship Conference. And as a subject for his address, he decided to speak on why the cultivation of the mind is so important for Christian discipleship. Now, for some of his listeners, this may have come as a surprise. After all, as Christians, we often talk about the importance of living and behaving in certain ways, and we greatly value the importance of our interior emotional life and the need for spiritual experience. And most of us assume that certain rituals, such as attending Sunday worship service and receiving communion, we assume that those things are vital for anyone who takes their faith seriously. But the cultivation of the mind, the development of our intellect, to many that sounds eh, maybe elitist or at best something that is maybe good but not very practical and not nearly as important as our day-to-day actions. Uh, John Stott anticipated some of those objections, but he disagreed with them, and he criticized the spirit of anti-intellectualism that he saw in the Christian culture of of his time. For Christians, the mind matters, he said, and it matters greatly. And you can see that in the way God created us, how he designed human beings uniquely within the animal kingdom to be rational creatures. And it's clear in the way that God relates to us, in the fact that he chooses to deal with his people by speaking to them, by communicating with them with words in such a way that presumes that they have minds that can understand and comprehend those words. And finally, it's clear that the mind matters by the way that God transforms us. As St. Paul says, by the renewal of our minds. But modern Christians, according to Stott, seem to often forget this. To drive the point home, he, he gave a quote from the Anglican theologian Harry Blamires. The Christian mind has succumbed to the secular drift with a degree of weakness and nervelessness unmatched in Christian history. It is difficult to do justice in words to the complete loss of intellectual morale in the 20th century. One cannot characterize it without having recourse to language which will sound hysterical and melodramatic. There is no longer a Christian mind. There is still, of course, a Christian ethic, a Christian practice, and a Christian spirituality. But as a thinking being, the modern Christian has succumbed to secularization. This week, as I was reading chapter 4 of Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline, I was reminded of that speech that John Stott gave, because I think in many ways that Foster shares some of the same concerns that Stott had. And in this chapter, he's aiming to provide a a corrective to this tendency we have toward a mindless Christian faith. He even quotes some of the same scriptures that Stott quoted, like, like the verse from Romans 12 that he cites in the opening sentences. When he says, the Apostle Paul tells us that we are transformed through the renewal of the mind. He also draws attention to what Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 32, about how he has come that we might have the truth and that the truth will set us free. Which means, Foster explains, good feelings will not free us. Ecstatic experiences will not free us. Getting high on Jesus will not free us. 
Without a knowledge of the truth, we will not be free. Because of this, in this chapter, he advocates for the spiritual discipline of study, which I think is very interesting because study is not something that I usually think about as a spiritual discipline. Now, that might sound kind of surprising. I know I have a reputation as someone who likes to read and study. But to be honest, most of the reading and studying that I do is is pretty undisciplined. I just read about things that I think are interesting, things that happen to catch my fancy. But that's not the kind of study that Foster is talking about. He's not just suggesting that we all need to read more. In fact, as you As you read the chapter, you'll discover that when he talks about study, he's not even necessarily talking about reading at all. No, when he talks about study as a spiritual discipline, what he has in mind is a practice of intentionally focusing our attention on what is real and true. Study, he says, is a specific kind of experience in which through careful attention to reality, the mind is enabled to move in a certain direction. And what follows, I'd like to use that definition as a a kind of framework to think about this chapter. More specifically, I'd like to focus on two specific parts of that definition. The first is what Foster means when he uses the phrase careful attention. And the second is what he means when he talks about reality. Let's begin with that phrase, careful attention. I appreciate Foster using the word careful because by saying that study is a matter of careful attention, he's pointing out that it has to be intentional. The discipline of study isn't something that we do accidentally. We have to make a plan for it. I I remember years ago, a professor of mine telling me that during Lent, he had decided to take up a, a discipline of study, which for him meant that he was setting aside one hour per day to read, just read for an hour. Now, I've got to admit, when he told me that, it sounded pretty odd. I mean, this professor was one of the most well-read people I've ever known. He'd published well over a dozen books himself. But he admitted that even as a professional scholar, he rarely engaged in an hour of close, careful reading. So he thought he'd try to be intentional about it and make it a Lenten discipline. Now, I'm not suggesting that you or I need to read for an hour a day, but it is true that unless we are careful, unless we're intentional, we won't really focus our mind in the way Foster is talking about. But study isn't just about being careful. It's first and foremost about paying attention. And the culture that we live in is not one that encourages us to focus our attention. To the contrary, distraction, Foster says, is the order of the day. Many will, for example, go through all the activities of the day and evening with the radio on. Some will read a book and watch TV at the same time. Now, today, 40 years after Foster wrote those words, the temptation to distraction has only gotten worse. Today, we live in in what some technology writers call an ecosystem of interruption technologies. Now, it's not just a radio or TV that distracts us, but the constant interruptions of smartphones and screens and endless amounts of commercial messages that we're bombarded with every day. 
And all those distractions, they affect us on a deep level. They're, they actually have an effect on the neural pathways of our brain. And they make it almost impossible for us to concentrate and give anything our careful attention. Nicholas Carr, who is, he's one of the foremost authors who's written on this topic. He describes his own experience of distraction this way. Over the past few years, I've had an uncomfortable sense that someone or something has been tinkering with my brain, remapping the neural circuitry, reprogramming the memory. I'm not thinking the way I used to think. I can feel it most strongly when I'm reading. Immersing myself in a book or a lengthy article used to be easy. Now my concentration often starts to drift after two or three pages. I get fidgety, lose the thread, begin looking for something else to do. I feel as if I'm always dragging my wayward brain back to the text. The deep reading that used to come natural has become a struggle. We live in an age of distraction, a time when we become so accustomed to shifting our attention from one thing to another that we find it very difficult to focus. And that's one of the reasons that we need this spiritual discipline of study, because God transforms us by the renewal of our minds. But in order for our minds to be renewed, we have to learn how to focus our attention. And that's what studying is. It's it's paying careful attention. But not just that. To study, according to Richard Foster, is to pay careful attention, not just to anything, but to reality. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, the Apostle Paul gives us an exhortation. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, the obvious assumption, of course, is that it's quite easy for us to focus our attention elsewhere on things that aren't true or honorable or just or pure or lovely. And you see this tendency in the stories of God's people in the Bible. How many times does God give them instruction and teach them and how many times are they reprimanded for refusing to pay attention to it and instead giving their attention to all the lies around them? In the Gospel of John, Jesus said that the truth would set us free, but the Gospel of John also makes it clear that we live in a world saturated by darkness and by untruths. And we're easily led into habits of thought that are neither lovely nor true. So we must focus our attention through study on what is true, on reality, as Foster calls it. And the first place that we discover what is real and true is, of course, the Word of God, which is why when he begins to talk about studying, the first thing that he talks about is the study of Scripture. The first and most important book we are to study is the Bible. Along with that, Foster says we ought to study some of the classics of Christian literature, the, the true and just and lovely things that have been written by Christians over the centuries. Not, of course, not with the goal that, that we become intellectuals or that we could impress people with our knowledge. That's always a temptation. Rather, he says we need to devote ourselves to studying things with the goal always of having our own mind transformed, 
as we pay careful attention to what is true and good and beautiful. And along with the Bible and great works of Christian literature, he also talks about other kinds of study, the study of nature, the the study of human relationships and behavior, the study of the culture in which we live, the study of the movements of our own hearts. Paying careful attention to and examining these things is a way of focusing our mind on reality, on what is good and true and worthy of our attention, so that we won't be led astray and won't go through our lives distracted and undisciplined in our thinking. Of course, developing this discipline isn't easy. There are a lot of obstacles in our everyday life that work to prevent us from careful attention. But don't forget, Foster says as he concludes this chapter, don't forget why this discipline is so important. Don't forget why we study. It's because through study, we are making space for the Holy Spirit to transform us by the renewal of our minds. Because through study, we are escaping the lies by which we so often live. Because study, as Foster says, because study produces joy. 